everyone, and welcome to the Able Voices Podcast. I'm Dr. Rhoda Bernard, Founding Managing Director of the Berkeley Institute for Accessible Arts Education, and I am proud to present this podcast featuring disabled artists and arts educators. We are inviting artists with disabilities to be guest hosts for the Able Voices Podcast. Today, you'll meet our next guest host, photographer Megan Bent. Megan Bent is a lens-based artist interested in the malleability of photography and the ways image-making can happen beyond using a traditional camera. This interest started to occur after the diagnosis of a progressive chronic illness. She is drawn to image-making processes that reflect and embrace her disabled experience, especially interdependence, impermanence, care, and slowness. Megan's artwork has been exhibited domestically at the Center for Fine Art Photography in Fort Collins, Colorado, the UN headquarters in New York, New York, the Houston Center for Photography in Houston, Texas, Foreman Concept in Santa Fe, New Mexico, the Halide Project in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Flux Factory in Long Island City, New York, El Museo Cultural in Santa Fe, New Mexico, the Foster Gallery in Dedham, Massachusetts, Soho Photo Gallery in Tribeca, New York, the Austin Central Library Main Gallery in Austin, Texas, and abroad at F1963 in Busan, South Korea, Alternative Space 298, Pohang, South Korea, Foto Nostrum in Barcelona, Spain, and Festival Pill Hours in saint gilles Croix de vie France. Megan has been an artist in residence at Art Beyond Sites 2021-2022 Art and Disability Residency in the Noble School in Dedham, Massachusetts, and the Honolulu Museum of Art in Hawaii. She has presented her work at the Common Field 2021 convening Atlas Obscura, the Secret Arts, the Pacific Rim International Conference on Disability and Diversity in Honolulu, Hawaii, at Other Bodies, Self-Representation, Disability, and the Media, at the University of Westminster in London, UK, and at critical junctures at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. Her work has been featured in Lens Scratch, Analog Forever Magazine, Fraction Magazine, Too Tired Project, Our Photofolio, and Float Photography Magazine. Welcome, Megan. We are delighted to have you as the next guest host of the Able Voices podcast. Thank you so much, Dr. Bernard. I am really, really excited to be here today and I'm just so grateful for the invitation to be a part of the Able Voices podcast. We are overjoyed to have you with us. So we'd like to start by having you tell us about your story as an artist. How did you get your start as an artist and how did you get to where you are today? That's a great question. Um, And I was thinking about it And it brought me back to, I recently found this school photo from second grade. And when you turn it over on the back in my grandmother's handwriting, it says something like, Megan, age eight, loves all critters, wants to be an artist. So it's really cool for me to find that photo and know, and just, you know, I don't remember saying that, but to to know that even at a young age, this is something that I was sharing. And I grew up in a multi-generational household with her. And she was an artist, she was a painter. So I think that, you know, as a young child, like seeing a working artist, like really informed my own path and that that's something that I could seek out for myself. 
Um, and then I would say that disability brought me to my main medium, which is photography. Um, when I was a teenager, I ended up having a traumatic brain injury. And this injury really affected um, the parts of my brain that are involved with memory recall and vocabulary. And so that was a really difficult time personally. Um, you know, my brain was healing. I was having to learn new skills for navigating life in a new way and just really processing a lot of that experience. Um, and around that time, my older brother gave me a point and shoot camera. Hmm. And then not long after that, my parents decided to send me on a cross-country trip by train just to have some personal healing and some new experiences. And when I was on that trip, I took so many photographs. <laughs> um, and, you know, I look back now and I realize that this is a moment where the camera is becoming this really important tool for me to connect myself back to my memories, um, this photographic idea of having been there and connecting me back to myself. And this trip was at a time before digital was, you know, really popular. Um, and I just remember that I would, you know, take all these pictures, have these canisters of film. And wherever I was on this cross-country trip, I would find like a 24-hour photo lab. And then I would just sit outside for the full hour because I was so excited to see my film. Like, I just oh, cannot wait. And uh, I came back from that trip saying, you know, I'm, I want to be a photographer. I'm going to be a photographer. And that just, that never changed. Wow. Um, yeah. It, you, what's interesting about your story is so many things that your version of yourself when you were eight years old was like, I'm going to be an artist. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and then how your experience of disability intertwined with your artistic identity, which I think is really interesting um, for folks to think about and to hear. Um, yeah. And Incredible. It sounds like that cross-country trip was just like people say things are life-changing, but this mm -hmm. really sounds like it um, in so many ways changed and crystallized your life. Yeah, it was really a life-changing experience. Like I would say I left on that trip feeling pretty broken and I came back with this like new sense of confidence, purpose, mm -hmm. um, excitement, and this new tool to be able to, I don't know, I guess just like assert my voice or my experiences, my memories in like a new way. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. So from that point, can you take us to today? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So after that, like I knew I wanted to be a photographer. My school didn't have, my high school didn't have photography offered as a, an art form, but I ended up being able to go to like a, a summer camp for photography, learned the ins and outs of like black and white darkroom, analog photography, fell in love with that process, um, and went on to receive my BFA in photography, um, took a break from school, returned maybe like five years later to get my MFA in photography. At that time, I also did the school where I went to get my MFA, I was like really, really lucky. I didn't go to this school because it had disability studies. But once I was at the school, I found out that they had a disability studies department and started doing coursework there. Um, and that that became like a really pivotal thing for me as a person and an artist. Um, and then since graduating, 
you know, I, I am a working artist, so I do have like a day job, but, you know, I continue to make work and apply for opportunities um, and have been lucky to connect with other disabled artists and sort of build a network um, and community through art. Wow. Um, so a couple of things that you just talked about really struck me. One is that mm-hmm. it sounds like aside from the camp experience, you were really DIY until you went to college. Yeah. Um, what was that like going into a college BFA program without having had, other than the camp, really structured, you know, education in photography? It was interesting because I definitely realized, I would say like it was in my first year that I was kind of like technically behind a lot of the technical aspects of analog photography were things that I had like learned on my own or like in high school, I had a friend whose father was a photographer and they had a dark room at home and would let me come use it. But yeah, I didn't have that like sort of long-term education within the technical aspects of photography. But the school I went to, um, I went to School of Visual Arts in New York, like it's just a really, I had an excellent experience there and um, just a really excellent school for having lots of resources, really great instructors, getting lots of technical education and photography and um, lots of room to experiment. So really cool. You know, I talk to people about the technical aspects of the arts all the time. I mean, mostly from a music perspective, because I'm a musician. And at the end of the day, right, it's the art and how you make the art and how the art speaks and communicates what you want it to and how it speaks and communicates to the consumer. It's not about technical vocabulary or technical processes, right? I mean, it's really, is the art saying something to you? And on a certain level mm-hmm. too, I would argue, not that there's, I mean, technique is important, don't get me wrong, think you can find folks who are too much in a box because of technique Mm -hmm. and not having had that can give you a new perspective, you know, which I think is great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like it's interesting between my BFA and my MFA. I feel like I spent a lot of time in my BFA really learning technique. And then I spent a lot of my MFA like breaking outside (laughs) of technique. And so... Picasso said something like, um, you spend all your time learning how to be an artist so then you can paint like you were three years old and you didn't know. Uh, (laughs) Something like that, which I love that. Uh, Yeah, yeah. The other thing you talked about when you spoke about your path and your education was about disability studies. And you said that, Mm -hmm. so you didn't go to your your BFA program with that in mind, but you got there there was disability studies and you got involved in that and that was meaningful to you. Can you just say more about that whole part of your training and your work? Absolutely. Um, I mean, some of this comes into my story a little bit later, but I, when I was in my twenties, I was diagnosed with a progressive chronic illness and sort of my first experiences of that was just facing a lot of stigma and it really shut me down. And, um, And so when I went to my MFA program, I had this feeling inside of me that like I had things to say, like this is why I wanted to go back to school, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to say. I didn't know how I was going to say it. And then when I started taking disability studies, 
it's like I got this new vocabulary for all these things that I had been feeling and I just didn't have like the language for. Um, And that really kind of like broke everything open. And I started making work about disability and really examining my own experiences about internalized ableism and being able to make work about my lived experience and slowly start to share that and be comfortable with sharing that out. And um, yeah, it was just really incredible. And I'm, like I said, I didn't go to my MFA program because it had disability studies, but I'm so grateful that it did because both of the, both disability studies and the fine art practice, like they're so intertwined for me at this point. That is so amazing. So amazing. Um, So it's like, it's almost the reverse of what we were talking about before around the technical aspects. It's like um, disability studies gave you language and framework and and also like an intellectual history and validation and Mm -hmm. other people have thought and written and created with this. Um, and community, right? Yeah. Community. Tremendous. That's fascinating. Fascinating. So bring us up to your current work. Tell us about the things you're working on now. Um, right now, I would say since 2015, I've been mainly working with this process called chlorophyll printing. Um, it was invented by the photographer Ben Don. And basically, it's printing images onto leaves through photosynthesis. Um, And so my most recent series is called I Don't Want to Paint a Silver Lining Around It. And um, it's a personal reflection on being high risk during the pandemic. The title just comes from early on. I felt like there was a lot of, as I would say, in some manner, toxic positivity to just like make the most of the pandemic. And not that that's like a bad feeling to have, but it just also became apparent very early on that we were not all going to be having the same pandemic experience. And there was going to be some barriers, you know, for certain communities, um, especially within the disability community. So it's my personal reflection of being high risk in the pandemic. And um, it's just also my political response to the way that I feel like disabled people have been, like our needs and our care have kind of been pushed aside for personal convenience or, you know, for profit. And so chlorophyll printing, which uses UV light to print photographic images directly onto leaves, I use that to connect disability and nature, wanting to claim disability as a valuable part of human diversity. And the way that chlorophyll prints are created, it's really through this very cooperative relationship with the organic materials and the, and the environment. Like for example, the prints can only be made when there's strong visible UV light. And so living in New England, um, you know, I can only really print during the spring and summer and a tiny bit of the fall. And so that, you know, in some ways it limits the amount of work I can make, but it also makes it really precious the time that I have when I can do this printing process. That's why I laughed. I knew there had to be a limited window. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
And for me, like I see it as a process that celebrates care, interdependence, slowness, adaptability. And like these are all values that I find and like really cherish in the disability community. And then another thing about this process that really resonates for me is that these prints are impermanent. They're printed onto leaves, um, into the chlorophyll of the leaves, and they will continue to decay over time. And so for me, this really like underscores the interdependence that we all share. And so this work, I'm really excited. It's currently on exhibition at the Open Door Gallery at the Worcester Art Museum. And it will be up until May of 2023. So local folks in Massachusetts, please go see this exhibit. Um, I love hearing how there are so many layers to what you're describing, Megan. So, and, there, and the interconnectedness that you said about disability and studies and your work, right? The process has to do with that. The theme has to do with that. The actual art itself has to do with that. I feel like there are a lot of different dynamics. Is that fairly typical for the kinds of things that you do? Yeah, I, I am really interested in having sort of like every aspect of what I do be involved in what I'm trying to say. So not just the imagery that I'm making, but also thinking about the process that I'm using, um, how is that also a part of what I'm trying to say? And again, like I was kind of saying with my journey between my BFA and my MFA, like in my MFA, I, as I was really starting to process this idea of like what could be perceived as a quote unquote failure within my body and like rescripting that for myself. I became more interested in photographic processes that, you know, have to do with uncertainty, celebrating um, vulnerability, and and taking all these things that I see as as gifts and and having them become a part of the image making process as well. Fascinating. Have people who've seen your work reached out to you and talked to you about how these themes, you know, are meaningful to them? Yeah, I have received some correspondence or some emails from people who have just like found my work and can really identify with some of the experiences that I've been talking about. And especially like during the pandemic and just saying, you know, this really resonated with me. And I feel like that's such a reciprocal thing because it's like I'm creating this work and especially now or like within the past year, as there has been more of a call to like return to quote unquote normal, I can kind of get stuck in these feelings of like, why am I still making this work? Everyone's like moved on, like nobody wants to hear this anymore. And so then to actually receive correspondence like that, where somebody's saying like, this really meant a lot to me and this really resonates with me, like also helps me remember like, yeah, this this is important to say, and this is still a reality for a lot of people, whether or not that's part of like mainstream dialogue or not. And so I I appreciate how that there is like this really nice reciprocity in connecting. I like what you're saying here. Um, And I want to continue to encourage you to speak against that mainstream narrative, right? 
Thank um, you. This push that we're whatever back to normal supposed to be. <laughs> first of all, no human can have gone through that experience and be the same. Mm-hmm. So there's no normal, yeah. or there's normal, mm-hmm. and it's different for different people. But regardless, um, that's not the narrative that we're all hearing. And so we need your work and your voice and many other voices to challenge that narrative for sure. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. Cause I've still like, sometimes I get back into that and I think it's just all about kind of what you're hearing, you know? And I also think I would say that for disabled people, I feel like sometimes we can be isolated from each other and from conversations with each other. And so, you know, it's like if you're on the news or social media and, and just kind of digesting these stories about, you know, this health measure is going to end and masking doesn't matter and, you know, all these things, it's it's like you're kind of having to really fight against that. And um, yeah, so just you you reiterating that for me today is like really powerful. And thank you. I'm happy that I could do that. And I understand. I mean, we need people to communicate with each other with that message. And yeah. being, feeling yeah. alone with that has got to be hard for sure. But we need yeah. it. Um, I would like to know what advice you would give to a young disabled artist. That's such a great question. And um, yeah, I have a few different things that I would suggest or share. First, I would say that finding community is huge if you if that's something that you don't feel like you have. Um, and again, like I was just saying, I think that there can be these experiences of isolation, but there is a really strong network out there. And it's very interesting to me that I feel like, at least in my experience, a large part of it is through online mediums. Um, I have a lot of really close friends who are disabled artists that I've never met in person, but really cherish our, our kinship so much. And I feel like I was an isolated, like disabled art, disabled artist when I first started, like I didn't really know any other disabled artists. And once I found that community, I just think it's really helpful to have other people that you can share your work with and your lived experiences with. And, and they will, maybe they won't completely understand it because everybody's experience of disability is unique, but they will be able to relate to it on some levels. And I just feel like that's really validating and really empowering. I feel like some other great advice that I received from a mentor um, in my MFA program was just to go for it. Like, I feel like when I was a younger artist, I was a bit more naive about how opportunities happened. And I thought that if I just made the work, you know, people would see it and then come to me with, with shows or things like that. And um, I realized I really had to take the step to put myself out there and do a lot of research to find opportunities that I thought were good fits for my work and to apply. Um, And that kind of leads me to my next piece, which would be to not get too discouraged. Um, I still receive a lot of rejections for my work, uh, you know, whether that's for exhibition opportunities or grants or residencies, but I also receive acceptances and through that have had many wonderful opportunities as an artist. And then I guess I would just say the last thing is, I think a big thing for me in my practice, 
that is helpful is that I really think of failure or what could be perceived as quote unquote failure as an opportunity, Um, you know, especially with alternative photography. If I try something out, like I have a hypothesis of what if I, you know, what if I try to do this when I'm making an image and it doesn't work out? That's just another opportunity for me to learn what to do next time or how to move forward, how to grow. And that's like being really open to that and investigating that has led me to some really great places and some really great results in my work. Wow. Thank you for that. I think a lot of artists can benefit from your wisdom. Um, I love thinking about um, something that would be perceived as failure as opportunity for exploration. That's Mm -hmm. a big message for a lot of people. Uh, I want to thank you, Megan, for sharing your experience, your thoughts with us today. We are really looking forward to our next episode where you will be our host. (laughs) Thank you. I am so excited for that opportunity, too. And um, yeah, just thank you so much. This was such a wonderful conversation today. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Voices is a production of the Berkeley Institute for Accessible Arts Education, led by me, Dr. Rhoda Bernard, the founding managing director. It is produced by Daniel Martinez del Campo. The intro music is by Kai Levin, and our closing song is by Sebastian Batista. Kai and Sebastian are students in the arts education programs at the Berkeley Institute for Accessible Arts Education. If you would like to learn more about our work, Find us online at berkeley.edu slash B-I-A-A-E or email us at B-I-A-A-E at berkeley, that's L-E-E, dot E-D-U.